Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Patrick Driscoll and Ben Stokes of the Gen Partners of Chasing Rainbows. Patrick works in Carter as a lead product marketing manager, and Ben is an emerging fund manager with both startup and corporate experience, uh, where he has helped LGBT uh, founders get early access to capital. Welcome to the show, uh, Patrick and Ben. Yeah, thanks for having Pleasure us. to be here. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, uh, you've got quite a bit of an experience uh, raising funds and being into startups. Uh, you know, Patrick, uh, we can start with you. How did you get into this world of startups? For sure. Yeah, I, I originally started my career in international development, working with entrepreneurs in, in West Africa and Senegal and the Gambia with the Peace Corps and really fell in love with empowering entrepreneurs. And that led to uh, some time spent in South America and Colombia, eventually Mexico, before I, again, working with entrepreneurs and youth entrepreneurship before ending up in Los Angeles with the U.S. Small Business Administration, where I got the opportunity to work with financial institutions to help them streamline access to capital for brick and mortar entrepreneurs specifically. And I sat on a panel with a VC and an accelerator manager at the mayor's office in Los Angeles and heard what they had to t- had to say about their industry, the impact they were having with uh, just social societal impact, impacting the founders with access to capital and education via acceleration and kind of looked around at what I was doing and realized that that's exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, was able to get a job at 500 Startups shortly thereafter to run global investor education programs. So that really allowed me to learn a lot about the VC space in startups, sitting in courses at Stanford and Berkeley. Their program is called Venture Capital Unlocked. I couldn't recommend it enough. And uh, that kind of instilled in me a desire to grow in the venture capital space. And at the same time, I started mentoring LGBTQ plus startups. Um, which has been a huge passion of mine since I got into entrepreneurship in general to help kind of the underrepresented community from the from the queer perspective. And after 500, I joined a firm called BMNT, uh, which I ran a national security focus accelerator with a $20 million allocation of non-dilutive equity, non-dilutive money that we could give to 21 startups, which was a great experience while simultaneously chairing some boards for Startout, which is an LGBTQ plus startup ecosystem, continuing to mentor startups on the side um, and growing an investor network. I became a venture partner at Gangels, which is an LGBTQ plus focused angel syndicate. And then finally, this past year, I joined Carta in March to run their product marketing for venture capital products. And Ben asked me to join Chasing Rainbows based off of, uh, hopefully he'll, he'll tell the story of how we met, but uh, based off of our experiences kind of interacting with one another over the past couple of years in June is when I joined and it's been, you know, hit, hitting the, the road running, hitting the ground running as much as we possibly can to raise the fund and meet founders and grow our network, et cetera. So it's been a, it's been a fun ride. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's, that's super interesting. And, and when you reached out to me, I thought I'm going to meet uh, Ben, uh, the cricketer, but uh, Ben, what's, what's been your story? You know, you've been, you're an Aussie who lives in the US. Uh, how do you get into into the world of startups? 
Yeah, well, I, I, firstly, I guess I should apologize that I'm not the cricketer, but that's okay. <laughs> I, hopefully, I'll be able to entertain you enough with my stories and startups. But um, yeah, so I got into startups. Um, I originally had my own startup actually called Social Table, which was a social dining platform. So the idea was that you could book and pay for a single seat at a group table at a restaurant as a way of meeting people. So think dining with strangers and hopefully leaving with friends at the end. Um, during the pandemic, we pivoted a few times and then ended up, I was able to exit that company last year. Um, and so, you know, like during that time as well, I'd been an angel investor too. And so, um, you know, I'd always been investing in underrepresented founders, but what I'd noticed uh, during my time was that there was a similar the a similar sort of, um, you know, thread that was happening with a lot of the LGBTQ plus founders that I'd been investing in. And that was the fact that for a lot of them, when they'd come out, they'd lost their friends and family due to bigotry. And so, um, so what, what we've done is sort of position ourselves within Chasing Rainbows to be a, the chosen family for all of these founders that when they've lost them, they, um, you know, they, you know they, they need somewhere to go to be able to get some early access, particularly when the first fa- round of fundraising is literally called Friends and Family. And so that's where we sort of fill in that gap, essentially. Um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, how I met Patrick, you know, he and I have both been uh, on the board of Startout for a number of years. Um, but we actually met on a, on a pitch day event when I was pitching uh, Social Table and he was the MC on his first day back in LA after living in Mexico, actually. And so that's where we actually met, which is, a, I can't even remember when it was now, 2000 maybe 18 or 19 it was a while ago um i had less gray hair then anyway i'm um, so <laughs> then um then we'd been sitting on the startup board for a while each of us either he'd be leading or i'd be leading and so then yeah we we've, we've developed this really good relation working relationship and so i think that that has allowed us to be able to go into this fund um really well so i come from the founder background and patrick obviously has the lp education background and i think it, it's a really good pairing for us Interesting. And and what is the, what is the thesis uh, of the fund? Are you only investing into LGBT founders in US, or, or is it you know are you uh, you know spread across different sectors, uh, or is it a particular segment, uh, uh, or you know uh, what's what's the thesis? And are you looking? Yes. Yeah. So exactly that. So we are investing in LGBTQ plus founder companies um, at the early stage. So that's anywhere from pre-seed up to Series A. Um, and we are, we are, you know, sector agnostic in a sense. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't really, um, we don't really have a particular thesis, uh, sorry, sector or industry uh, vertical that we're going after. Um, you know, we are definitely interested in a few different ones like, um, you know, f- uh, create uh, people who are creating financial equity or education equity or healthcare equity. Um, and then the other one is obviously environmental and sustainability as well, which we believe is um, is very key, um, as well as the future of work and things like that. So we are we're definitely open to to different sectors. So that's not something that we really um, are too driven by. It's more around who are the founders, um, are they you know are they capable founders in in, in terms of what they can deliver um, as well. And then on the other side of that, from an industry, oh, sorry, from a um, a uh, location um, element, um, we are mainly focused on the US. I would say, you know, uh, up to up to ten to twenty percent of our fund can be um, can be done outside of the US or or invested outside the US, but majority of it is going to be US based. Just and that's simply because yes. that's that's the majority of Patrick and I's network is US based. Oh, okay. well. That- well, fortunately for Fund2, I was based in LATAM and have uh, strong connections in, in Europe and Southeast Asia even as well. So for Fund2, we're really hoping to to raise a much larger fund and deploy capital into international markets. 
at a higher rate. But for fund one, uh, we'll, we'll likely focus for the most part on the U.S. Yeah, got interesting. And you, you know, Patrick, you 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 work in Carter, and you know, Ben uh, uh, right now is living in Australia. But how do how do you look at doing due diligence for startups? If you're looking at startups uh, in the U.S. as well as you know, spread across LATAM and other areas. Uh, what's what's your strategy and how do you do those uh, due diligence? For sure. Yeah, we, we like to bring in, so Ben and I both have our specific expertise, right? We have our experiences. Ben's a former founder. He understands the founder perspective. I've been helping VCs learn how to do their craft and hone their craft over the past couple of years. So I understand due diligence at the top level. So we can get into the nitty gritty with uh, you know, go to market. What's your, how are your financials looking? What are your metrics? We understand those at that level. But when it starts getting into um, verticalized questions, if it's a health tech company, for example, we'll bring in a health tech expert from our network and they'll actually sit in on the investment committee decision. We'll have an initial screening call. One of us will will screen the founder to make sure that it's a good fit. The founder is is savvy, understands what they're doing. We'll bring in the other one likely for the second call. The third call is when we'll bring in this technical expert after sending them all of the, the decks and the information in our notes. And we'll have more of a technical screening uh, before having a final investment committee decision and having a final call with all parties involved to make the, the investment decision. Um, so it's based on founder. Uh, there's a, since they're super early stage is typically who we target. It's based on founder and founder team. So I mean, any good investor is going to tell you that a founder could have the best idea in the entire world that's going to revolutionize things, but it, if they can't deploy or they, if they can't implement on their vision because of a lack of CEO type background, or perhaps mm-hmm. they're not a technical founder, they're super CEO, then they need to understand that their weaknesses require either a co-founder or a strong fellow teammate. If we see somebody who's not uh, who's not doing that, who's not actually acting on these good instincts that we can detect quite quickly as a founder, then we'll likely not invest in them. So it's very founder-driven for sure. Yeah. There's definitely those, those elements of uh, the three Ts, right? Team, traction, and TAM. And so like how big is the market opportunity and who's, how much have you, what have you achieved without venture capital funding um, to date? And so that kind of shows us that, you know, if you're able to problem solve and get things out to the market faster. And that's where, when you do get venture capital, that we can really help you excel that. Got interesting. And uh, and you, you mentioned that you look at whether the founder has that CEO quality, but what if it's a, it's a very young founder uh, you know, I was part of a company called OU Rooms, so the founder was very young, but he doesn't have much experience. Uh, how do you uh, do that? Uh, you know, how do you understand? How do you, what are some of the, uh, you know, qualities you look for a founder uh, to make bet if he doesn't have that experience in that domain? For sure. Uh, I, I think a huge indicator of a good founder is coachability. Mm-hmm. So if it is a young founder, they need to understand that they might lack the experience and how to scale a business to a unicorn status, right? They're not going to have that inherent skill in their tool belt, right? So if we can, and if, and a good founder will know that and they'll take mentorship, they'll take coaching from investors, from mentors that will assign them uh, further on in the process. Once we've deployed capital, for example, we assign mentors and the best types of young founders or founders or that are first time founders is that coachability. And if they yeah. take input and insight and they know how to push back, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we only know what we know. And if they know their industry better, then they need to be confident enough to push back on what we say. But coachability is a huge indicator for me and for investors, I would say in general. 
Yeah, and that's, a, that's something that we really are, um, are really uh, focusing on within our fund. And so we have we align each of the startups we invest in with a um, with a key advisor that actually has that industry expertise and knowledge as well, based on on their experience. And so the idea between that, behind that is, that if it's not Patrick and I, it will be one of our key advisors that will be focused on mentoring and and educating and advising that startup. And so they've got that experience as well. So they can actually ensure that they get that insight too. Got it. Interesting. And, uh, you know, last year, a lot of founders were taking money from uh, from funds like uh, Tiger who would not be on the board. They would make quick investments, uh, but uh, but they would just be giving capital. But, uh, but I wanted to understand, you know, before you invest, how can founders know whether a VC can add value? And is it only... Financial capital, which they're uh, they're they're giving to the founder, but is there any other thing which a founder should know that you know they can add value? And what are the signs which a founder can know that you know VC can add value to them? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so um, I mean, like it's a hard one, right? Uh, because you know, you're right. The last few years, capital has been so accessible, right. but as a VC, and particularly at the moment when when you know the money is tightening up in a lot of ways. You know, like it, it kind of works both ways that, that you know, the, the VC has to add value to the founders as just as much as the founders have to add value to, you know, to the VC's portfolio. And so, um, you know, the thing that we really focus on is is trying to ensure that we can help the founders get to where they want to go. And so like one thing that we sort of we built into our, plat- into our um, platform is this thing called the um, ecosystem playbook. And essentially... What that allows us to do is to be able to say, okay, you're at point A today, which might be raising a pre-seed round. You want to get to point B, which is actually where you are raising your seed round. What, what do you need to do to be able to get there? How, you know, and what, what does it take? And so we work with these founders over this period of time to actually have the three to six months or even six to 12 months to actually get them to that point where they can raise that. And so what, so if it's a number of, uh, Excuse me. If it's in the amount of traction they need to have, is it the amount of revenue they need to have? How many customers do they need to have to achieve that revenue? Things like that. Um, understanding their cogs, understanding their CAC, understanding their lifetime value. And so, what we do is we actually work with the founders to to put all that together and build on that, and they have our um, have capital milestones built into that pro- process as well. And so, by the end of that six to twelve month period, the founders can confidently raise that next round. From the from other institutions that we that we have uh, you know we will introduce them to as well because we know that they've already hit all the, the things that those rec- um, that next round of funders require from them and so that's something that we do I think other you know other funds do different things as well so it's just a matter of understanding who what what it is that you need the most expertise or help with so say if you're a you know a startup that's uh, more product based and you don't have that many customers to date. But you, you know, you're still building through your product. Finding a an investor who can actually help you, like, get to that point where your product is ready to go to market is really important as well. So, yeah, I don't know, Patrick, yeah. if there's anything you want to add to that. I love this question. I, uh, I I have spoken to so many founders specifically about vetting investors because you can take that money, right? You can. Um, but it depends on your strategy. Sometimes all you want is money. You don't need a mentor. You don't need an activist investor. Right. But the the biggest tool, uh, and uh, yeah, the biggest tool that founders have is the founder community, right? Mm-hmm. So relying on other founders and other startups and folks that are in your network that can tell you this investor is great, this investor is borderline questionable, you know, rely on those folks. And then your trusted investors, you can ask them, 
like come to Ben and myself, right? Ask, what does this investor do in terms of value add? Is it just a check and they don't take a board seat? They don't provide any sort of value outside of capital, which again, sometimes it's what you need, but take advice from folks that have already gone through the experience. Um, so the founder community and your investors and just reach out. There's so many really cool communities to be a part of as a founder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the other thing as well is like understanding what the, the VC's network is too. So if you're looking for more customers and things like that, that if the VC is able to give you those customers, that's also something yeah. that's really important too. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Right. And, and, and you know, Patrick, you talked about founder community and you, you've been part of 500 startups. Do you think a, a very early stage startup should should look at accelerators like Y Combinator and 500 startups? Uh, or, or do you think other VC firms have come up with, uh, you know, I, I know uh, Anderson Horowitz is working on, you know, you know, on community but, but do you think other VC firms are looking at, at the community angle, which YC and financial startups have, uh, you know, nailed down? Community is, for us, at least vitally important to what we're doing at Chasing Rainbows. At 500 Startups, community was also very important. Uh, right. Establishing a sense of community amongst the founders, the, even the team at 500, the investor community was great. And I think other VCs um, and in like A16Z and, and others are, are understanding the importance of community. Right. It's really up to the founder to determine what their strategy is. If they are positioned in such a way or their product or service isn't going to require a community, then maybe it's not super important for them to do so. I'm always going to tell them to do it and say, look at the community option via an accelerator uh, start out, for example, which both Ben and myself are part of is the LGBTQ plus community that focuses in startups. Right. It's just an easy way for you to get introductions and, and build your network quite quickly. Um, mm-hmm. For accelerators in general, I it, again, it depends on what you need and uh, the brand of the accelerator is quite important. So I always tell founders that I'm mentoring to really consider what you're getting out of uh, Y Combinator or 500, or maybe a small regional accelerator in like upstate New York, for example, you know, understand if you're getting a good curriculum, that's fantastic. If you don't need the curriculum, you need that network, then do it anyway, because you're going to get that network. If you don't need either of those two things, but need the brand validation from a 500 or a YC, then do the accelerator because of that. So there's all these different reasons why you would want to do something like that. And they, you just have to understand why. And I think the other thing as well is the fact that it's lonely as a founder as well. And, and you know, that whole thing is lonely at the top. And so right. when you're a CEO, you don't have, you don't have colleagues all the time that you can actually like, you know, ask questions or bounce ideas off. And so sometimes, you know, being in a community where you meet other founders is really important because you do then have peers that you can ask questions of and, and things like that as well. Yeah, and go up to the bar with and grab lunch with and complain about this crazy BC who I pitched and yeah. ghosted me, you know, like there's, it's a good sanity check for sure. Absolutely. Interesting. And, and you know, uh, post investment, what is your, what 
what strategy would you would you suggest to founders on how would they extract the most from the vcs because you know founders are usually thinking that the vc would be really busy but you know how should founders ask their investors for help and what should be really like the cadence like should they ask them more often or how how do you, how do they leverage the network Yeah I think that like you know one thing to remember here is um you know your success as a founder is our success as a VC and so we want you to be successful like we will do anything to make sure that you are successful as well and so um in that in that set in that case you know like we're really big on um on making sure that there's good communication between us and our founders we want to make sure that where you know that the founders are communicating with us that you know sending an update you know every 6 months is not good enough right you know you need to be able to send updates more regularly and and ask questions as well like remember that your vc like your vc here is is essentially here to help you be successful so if you if you need an introduction ask the vc for the introduction look on their linkedin see if they know anyone at the place that you want to be introduced and and then ask them for that introduction i have no problem with doing that um yeah yeah transparency is huge and uh being truthful is huge as well mm-hmm. so ensuring that your investor understands where you are what your needs are pretending like everything is is great and you have a long runway and you're not worried about anything every time you have a chat with your investor on your biweekly or monthly whatever your invest- investor update is is going to do no one any favors right so make sure you're transparent you're in a bind you're running out of runway your head of marketing just quit uh mm-hmm. your etc cetera, etc cetera. and once we know everything that's on the table we want you to succeed because the ben's point yeah. the success of our founders is the success of our fund mm-hmm. so transparency and truthfulness and if you hide something or or fib or potentially you know shift some numbers around to make it look better we're going to find out eventually mm-hmm. um and it's not going to be a good look for you because vc's talk to one another and and yeah. all that stuff and we want to be as helpful as humanly possible so truthful and transparent please for yeah. any founder listening out there <laughs> i i uh, yeah definitely want to back that up absolutely like and like patrick said if if things aren't going so well let us know because we might be able to like give you some advice or some pointers on how to how to fix the problems that you're going through as well because mm-hmm. yeah, you don't get you don't become a vc without having some experience and and seeing and you, we see other we see other founders as well right so we can always ask someone else within our portfolio what they're doing to sort of help you as well got it. and and uh, you know how how do you look at giving very hard feedback to founders but also you know retain that that level of trust and safety especially in the, during these times when it looks like there's going to be a cash crunch for for founders going ahead and you know what mistakes do you think you know vcs make when they're giving feedback to founders i think don't be an asshole is number one uh you can be constructively critical in many ways and come across as being like that trusted advisor who's going to tell you what's up and maybe you're spending money in in some way that we don't see as the smartest way to deploy capital you're hiring the wrong person you're spending too much money on salary just as a quick example um so maybe go for a more junior person so you can extend your runway um you know like be but don't uh, what i try to do with founders is give that advice and feedback as a trusted advisor not in any sort of critical way that's going to set up walls immediately and it's going to destroy the conversation 
immediately, right? So I think there's a way to do it well, and there's some great you know books and strategies on on how to do this and have those types of harder conversations um, with your founders and with your in, investors as well. The other way, so don't be a don't be an asshole. Would be number one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think the other thing is as well is like, um, take the person out of it, right? It's not about, it's not about the person. It's actually about, you know, the idea or the business or something like that. Right. And so, or the way the business is being done. And so I think one thing that founders sometimes have to remember that sometimes when a VC is, um, is, I guess, you know, giving that constructive criticism, it's not something personal. And so just, I remember to take it. It's not a personal attack. It's actually trying to work out how to fix or solve the business problems. And so that, I think that's really important to remember. Today, I have an interesting stat for you. Did you know that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x? They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Got it. And, and what do you think is the single biggest misalignment between VCs and, and, and founders? I think it's expectations, I guess, is the big one for me. Mm-hmm. It's often that I think that that, that founders, expect, uh, founders think that VCs have a certain expectation um, and that they can't, they can't, as Patrick was saying before, can't be transparent unless they are hitting that. And so like, I think measures of success is something that's really important to really understand. Yes, sure, every VC wants their founder to become the next unicorn, yeah. 100%. But that's not always the case. And so just being uh, being okay with that and looking at what measures of success are and actually, you know, like putting putting those measures of success, remembering you're not going to be a, a unicorn if you start your business today. You're not going to be one tomorrow. It takes time to get there as well. And so making sure that you work um, you know, to understand what the expectations are and what those measures of success are at each of the stages that you're in to then become a successful unicorn at a later date is really important. Yeah. Yeah, right. I totally, totally agree. I th- I think in two, two quick examples or ideas around this is founders live in a linear, have a linear vision, right? They want to take their business and succeed. They have an idea on their timeline. VCs come down with a multi-portfolio uh, vision of several companies, ideally. So they kind of have a lot of perspective on what's realistic and what's actually going to happen. And if a founder who potentially is a first-time founder has this grand vision that they're going to scale to 700% growth year over year immediately off the bat, And we know as investors that the likelihood of that happening is very minimal and we have to be, you know, truthful about that. So I think there's, there's a misalignment sometimes in those two perspectives meeting and merging in the middle. And then the the other one, which I was just uh, chatting with some other investor friends this week was the expectation of follow-on investment. Uh, some founders think that the second they get their first check from a VC, that they're guaranteed to get a check from that VC for the remainder of their company growth. So if they get a check in pre-seed, that means you're going to get a check for their seed round, their series A round, their B round, et cetera, et cetera, and bridge rounds too. And you know, there's no 
requirement for investors to provide those checks. Um, if we really like the company and want to allocate money for follow-on investment, then obviously that's a conversation we could have, but it's not a guarantee for sure. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Got it. And uh, I want to talk about uh, portfolio construction. You know, how many companies uh, do you think are enough for a, for a diverse portfolio? Is, is, um, uh, are, you, are you looking at investing, you know, 50 to 100 companies or do you have a set criteria of companies which you need to invest in? really depends on the stages you're investing in and, and the size of your fund, essentially. Those are the two things that, that, that kind of limit how much you can do. <laughs> so, um, you know, for us, you know, we're, our, our newest fund is a $10 million fund um, and, you know, we're pre-seed to Series A. So we've got a certain portion of them that are like on later stage deals and, so, and a portion of it that's going to be for earlier stage deals. And so, um, you know, when we've sort of looked at those numbers, you know, somewhere between 50 to to or 50 to 75-ish companies, I think we've sort of earmarked ourselves for. Um, again, that is across the the board there. So we're going to write smaller size checks from, you know, 50K all the way up to much larger size checks at 250K. For sure. Yeah, so that's, that's over a span of three years, uh, is it? Yeah. Uh, 18 months to three years. Eight we months. hope to deploy quite quickly. We do want to raise fund two um, in the near future since we're, we're really, we, we believe that we're going to find amazing companies quite quickly. And that's what we've seen already. We've had an amazing part of what our superpower is, is our pipeline. And we are sourcing deals from a ton of fantastic networks, VC funds, GPs at other funds, folks that we know. Uh, we have upmarket uh, founders coming to us for investment as well. We have people, we have amazing deal flow coming from every possible direction, which is great. And obviously we're diligencing every single one of them and having the conversations we need to have to make sure it's a good deal, but we feel like we can deploy quickly and we're fortunate to be in that position with our access to the deals that we have access to. Right. And is, uh, you know, target of ownership in a startup important, uh, you know, do you, do you want to keep it above five percent or above one percent? Do you do you, do you look at investment in that in that way? <laughs> yeah, uh, I you know ownership is important. Um, we're not going to take twenty percent of a company. I I've been mentoring startups in their fundraising strategy for long enough to know when they could hit with like a twenty two percent ownership grab from. Uh, from one investor, for example, and it's a multi-investor, it's a multi-investor um, deal or like a syndicated deal in some sort of way. So we want to be as realistic as humanly possible. We'll, you know, take anywhere from five to to ten percent, depending on on the deal and how much money we invest in the stage. But it's a conversation that we want to have with the other investors in the round and with the founder, obviously, to make sure it's the best case scenario. Because you can kill a you can kill a company by taking too much ownership. Mm. And if you're de-incentivizing the founder and the founding team and the and even the employees from the employee pool by the investors being too aggressive, then it's a lose it's a lose lose situation for everyone. Got it. And. Um, I want to talk about board management. Do you think boards are valuable? And you know, when do you think the board should come in and what can be done to improve them? Sorry, I missed that. What was that? Uh, uh, I want to talk about board management. Do you think boards are valuable? Uh, and you know, when do you think you know, a founder should create a board? Should it be on uh, pre-seed, uh, pre-seed, seed, 
Um, yeah, I mean, we usually start with a board, you know, as a board of advisors, right? And then moving to a more formal board later. Um, yeah. You know, at, usually a board comes in at that that first price round, usually because that's what as part of the the, the deal is that for them to take a board seat. Mm. Um, and so, I, I you know, that or, and so you know, board of advisors. I think the sooner you can get good people around you that you can learn from and help advise you, I think the better off you are. So obviously, do that early. Um, and then when you get to the point of it becoming a more formalized board, um, when it comes into like you having your first price round and things like that, then that's when what the, the lead investor will usually ask for that board seat. And that's where you set up your, your management board. Yeah. Or board of directors. Got it. Got it. And you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's the, what's your favorite business book? Go first, Patrick. Go. This is so cliche and I hate saying it out loud, but this is what I tell people anyway. It's venture. I've read Venture Deals by Feld and Mendelssohn, I think like seven times. It's just super useful to understand VC at the top level. It's 101. Uh, I recommend it to folks looking to break into VC. Um, and the one that I like is, um, you know, and admittedly, I don't read that many business books. I, I'm more into like other style of books. But uh, if I was thinking about business books, I would be going after The Personal MBA by Josh, Kauf- Josh Kaufman. I think that that book, if you can't afford to go to an MBA school, that book is actually amazing for anybody who wants to to have a look at that. And I, to be honest, I did that. I read that book before I did my actual MBA. And it, it was a super helpful thing, tool. Oh, wonderful. Uh, we'll, we'll put that in those notes. And, uh, you know, Brad, Brad Fred, uh, came, came on the show. I'll, we'll also put that in the show notes. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you when you started investing uh, and you, uh, you know, started looking at uh, building Chasing Rainbows, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done thing differently? Um, yeah, for me, like, you know, when I started the fund, I actually, I, I, you know, I thought about should I just be a fund for any underrepresented founder? And the thing that I was taught very early on from some discussion points I had with some very, very reputable VCs was to focus. And that's what we've done now with Chasing Rainbows. We really focus on the LGBTQ plus community. And I kind of wish that I had have done that a little bit earlier, to be honest, because I would have been able to, um, to you know, maybe find some, some, some earlier deals that I could have gotten on um, before when I was focusing more broadly. And so... I think that that's something that, you know, it takes time to learn. You have to learn some things the hard way. But um, I probably would have done that a little bit sooner had I have known that. Yeah, I, I love that. And for me, understanding that the emerging manager, the emerging fund manager community, similar to the points that I've already stated about the founder community, we have an emerging manager community. And uh, if, if I, I wish I'd known earlier that I could rely on a lot of the folks I've met over the past couple of months from that community uh, who will provide advice and input and information about the VC tech stack, which tools to use, who, who to go to, what events are worth it, et cetera. Uh, and, and even setting up coffees with not only LPs, right, and founders, but other emerging managers who are part of our community to to dig into their experience and see what they can provide in terms of insights and advice and, and that type of stuff. Got it. And, and you have your favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. Oh, my favorite tool in the entire world at the moment is Calendly because I, I just that. love sending out my link to anyone and then them booking directly into my calendar without the backwards and forwards of emails, which I hate. Um, that tool is a phenomenal. That's my, that's my big one. 
Calendly so nice for Ben and I have been chatting about a CRM tool for the past couple of weeks, specifically as our conversations get more and more complicated and that decision needs to be made probably early next week. So I can't say which one specifically we're going to to use yet, but a CRM tool is 1000% worth every single payment you will make per month or annually <laughs> CRM yeah. makes the world go around. Yeah, I do laugh that you say that that should have been that decision will be made next week. It should have been made last month. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Google Sheets is is Google coming Sheets. in coming in hot, but we're we're hoping to expand into an actual CRM. Got it. You know, absolutely. I, I I totally love Calendly, and I completely agree. I think CRM tool is is, is so crucial. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. And um, uh, Patrick and Ben, what are the best way people can reach out to you and know more about chasing rainbows? Sure. For so we have sure. a website uh, oh, Um And on there, actually, you can book in a meeting with um, with either myself or Patrick um, directly into our calendar, using Calendly, actually, um, <laughs> into our calendar to actually have a, a first meeting with us. Um, there are some certain questions that we like to ask during that Calendly process. And if you meet the the basis of our, of our thesis criteria, then obviously the meeting will go ahead. If not... Then we will um, we will be able to either hopefully point you in the right direction for somebody who will be able to help you, or find some um, or help you find the right um, the right sort of path to take. Yeah, and we can provide LinkedIn links and and all that stuff. But it's you know Patrick Driscoll and Ben Stokes. We should be pretty if you type in Patrick Driscoll chasing rainbows, Ben Stokes chasing rainbows, not the cricket player uh, yeah. chasing rainbows. You can find find us pretty easily. We'll, we'll put down the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for taking our time, uh, Ben and Patrick. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. No worries. Thanks for sure. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for it. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.